and welcome again to another Conservative Historian podcast. This one entitled, Elections That Actually Did Change Everything. The date, August 2020, and my name is Bell Avis. This past week at the Democratic National Convention, Senator Bernie Sanders stated, quote, This election is about preserving our democracy, unquote. This sentiment was echoed by, well, nearly everyone else on the docket. In an August 29, 2019 piece for the Washington Post, author Evie Selk says, quote, Now I know every election, everyone says, this is the most important election of our lifetime. But this time, it actually is the most important, unquote. Earlier that same month, Joe Biden stated, quote, You all know in your gut, not because I'm running, that this is maybe the most important election, no matter how young or old you are, that you've ever voted in, unquote. Running in 2016, Donald Trump stated, quote, You're going to look back at this election and say this is by far the most important vote you've ever cast for anyone at any time, unquote. And add Selk, quote, President Harry S. Truman spent much of 1952 saying the same thing about that year's election in which he stumped for Democrat Adlai Stevenson to succeed him. John F. Kennedy called his race the most important since Abraham Lincoln's, unquote. In 2000, actor Alec Baldwin was so distraught at the prospect of a win by George W. Bush that he promised to move to Canada. He stayed, and it was a good thing for him because Tina Fey may not have saved his foundering career if he were some hut north of uh, Calgary or Winnipeg. Historically, what this rhetoric really talks about is is how much those candidates wish to gin up enthusiasm and donations rather than about whether these truly are the most important elections of a lifetime. How does the discerning political analyst separate the critical elections from the rhetoric instilled by politicians and their minions who wish to drive up donation levels? First off, there are specific critical issues that neither party will touch. Candidates love to talk about jobs and the economy or how they are the ones to eliminate inequality, but you will never hear them address the greatest inequality within the republic, current government services versus future ones, and the young versus the old. For all of the Bernie pablum about billionaires, there are not enough rich people to pay for the deficits created by wealth transfers for Social Security, pensions, and Medicare. So, on what is arguably the most significant issue, there is consensus no matter who gets elected. Entitlements are untouchable. That being said, real transformative, landscape-altering elections contain two elements. The first is the imposition of significant, long-lasting government institutions that rely on governmental subsidies, and the second is the alteration of the party makeup in and of themselves. Those are the primary elections. Those are the items that result from those elections that make those elections truly transformative. In the 1800s, five critical elections transformed the trajectory of the nation in ways described above. The first was in 1800 itself. The transformative moment came actually after the election. 
the electoral vote tied, meaning that Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr had to go to the House of Representatives to determine the winner. But it was also the first time in the history of the Republic, and there were four elections, that the incumbent had lost. What would the authoritarian Adams do? Not a lot, as it turns out. Washington gets the right amount of glory for setting a precedent for the peaceful transfer of power, but he never lost. And it was one thing to hire somebody. There is always a honeymoon in that. It is quite another to see the character of a human when they were fired. And no doubt, in 1800, John Adams became the first incumbent president to be fired by the American people. The way he handled it, the way Jefferson, the subsequent winner, handled all of that, told a lot about the peaceful transfer of power when the incumbent lost. That is why the election of 1800 was significant. But, as is said before, those two items, the permanent sort of, if you will, attachment of governmental intrusion within the nation's business is one way. The other way is the transformation of parties. And one of the most significant of those transformation of parties occurred in 1828. So 28 years after Adams lost his re-election bid, the transformative election of Andrew Jackson took place. The incumbent lost, Perhaps not ironically, it was yet another Adams, in this case John Quincy Adams, the, the son of John Adams, but the winner himself was transformative. Andrew Jackson was the first non-founder elected president, and his refurbished Democratic Party won six out of eight presidential elections between 1828 and 1860. Six out of eight. As the Britannica.com website states, Quote, the election of 1828 was arguably one of the most significant in United States history, ushering in the era of political campaigns and paving the way for the solidification of political parties, particularly the Democratic Party, unquote. Jackson also introduced authoritarianism that was lacking from his six predecessors, whether it was destroying the Second Bank of the United States stopping secession talk with, uh, from South Carolina, or sending hundreds of Native Americans to their doom on the Trail of Tears, Jackson was driving the narrative. Because the actual machinery of government was small, and Congress still held most of the power, the country would wait another 70 years to see real imperial power in the person of Teddy Roosevelt. Jackson did not necessarily build the machinery of the government as 20th century presidents would do, but he did provide the template of what a president could accomplish if pushed forward hard enough. So the election of 1828 yielded the creation of a Democratic Party that was going to be generationally dominant and provided a template for that imperial president. In 1854, old Whig elements and members of the Free Soil Party merged to form the Republicans, but their impact would not come for another six years. The 1860 election, in which Abraham Lincoln won the White House, speaks for itself. And from this point, the Democratic Party, once the dominant party of the nation, became far more regionalized, with their primary base in the South. According to History.com, quote, the election of 1860 
was one of the most pivotal presidential elections in American history. The main issue of the election was slavery and states' rights. Lincoln emerged victoriously and became the 16th president of the United States during a national crisis that would tear states and families apart and test Lincoln's leadership and resolve, the Civil War, unquote. Subsequently, this change led to a consistent policy changes. The Democratic Party of the late 19th century was anti-protectionist, and in their Southern voter suppression of Southern Republican African Americans. Yet one of the issues that divided both parties in this period was the concept of easy versus hard money. The other result was an unprecedented expansion of national governmental power, but the permanent establishment of that power would come later. Just as the Democrats had dominated elections after Jackson's election, after 1860, the Republicans tended to dominate presidential elections up until 1884. But really, between 1860 and 1894, there wasn't what we would call that once-in-a-lifetime transformative election. That did end in 1894. Now, presidential election years always tend to get all of the glory for the transformation. And especially in the 20th century, given the outsized power that exists within the executive branch, that has held true. But in the late 1800s, one election, the election of 1894, actually was transformative in and of itself, though that election was a midterm one. In the election of 1894, in the wake of the panic of 1893 and the subsequent depression, experienced the single most considerable turnover of the seat count in the House of Representatives. Over 125 Democrats lost their positions. In the wake of the worst defeat in congressional history, the Democrats abandoned their party's two key planks. The first of those planks was bimetallism. The Democrats abandoned that in favor of a more easy-money, silver-based solution. The second was to become more of a populist party and even anti-business. They began evolving as a pro-labor type party. This change was cemented by the choice of populist William Jennings Bryan as their standard bearer in 1896. Now, Bryan's opponent, William McKinley, was a Civil War hero, ex-Ohio governor, author of the McKinley Tariff, and a protege of a businessman, Mark Hanna. A 2020 Democrat would not recognize their party in 1892, especially under the leadership of pro-business Grover Cleveland, but a modern Democrat would have much to like in William Jennings Bryan. Teddy Roosevelt was technically a progressive president, but that was more about his personality than policy beliefs. Woodrow Wilson's New Freedom, FDR's New Deal, LBJ's Great Society, and the current flirtation of today's 2020 Democrats with socialism stemmed from the 1894 and 1896 elections in which the Democrats took on their populist, pro-government, anti-business veneer. According to the Miller Center blog, in an article written by Lewis Gold, quote, the Republican Party reflected a winning coalition of urban residents in the North, prosperous Midwestern farmers, some industrial workers, ethnic voters, except for the Irish, and reform-minded professionals. 
It launched a long period of Republican power lasting until 1932, broken only by Woodrow Wilson's victory in 1912, which occurred principally because of a split in the Republican Party, unquote. Which brings us to 1932. The historic nature of that year was that this election was the absolute twofer. The New Deal provided a host of permanent governmental institutions, such as Social Security, and the party was forever altered. For nearly 70 years, African Americans had been mostly Republican. Logically, voting for the party of Abraham Lincoln, Thaddeus Stevens, and Charles Sumner, it was the Democrats in the late 19th century who exercised voter suppression and intimidation. Even under Woodrow Wilson, lynching in the South averaged over 50 deaths annually. It was under Calvin Coolidge, a Republican, whose bold law enforcement reduced this heinous act to less than 10 a year. Just this year, Joe Biden did something that no other presidential nominee has accomplished. In the primary, he lost to Iowa and New Hampshire badly. And yet, Joe Biden came back to win the nomination. How did this happen? Well, his entire success can be pinned on the support of African-American Representative Jim Clyburn, a South Carolinian, and the black vote in South Carolina. Mostly, it was core African-American voters who drove the direction of the Democratic Party. And all of this began with the fundamental seismic shift of African-Americans from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party in 1932. In an article entitled, quote, The Consequential Elections in History, Franklin Roosevelt and the Election of, of 1932, written by, for U.S. News and World Report, author Kenneth Walsh notes, quote, The electorate had, in effect, taken nearly 150 years of tradition, upholding limited government, and in their anxiety and anger, threw it out the window, unquote. There is an argument that with the defeat of the Bourbon Democrats in 1894, Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson had actually laid the groundwork for this belief. But it is without a doubt that in 1932, this concept of permanent governmental involvement in regular people's lives realized its inception. Quote, he became one of the nation's most beloved presidents and built a vast and powerful governing coalition. It consisted in part of working-class whites, union members, immigrants, African-Americans, as I'd mentioned before, Southern whites, Catholics, Jewish voters, and city dwellers. This coalition dominated American politics for more than a generation, another key part of FDR's legacy, unquote, adds Walsh. But the whirlwind of the Great Depression... African Americans changed allegiance, a movement cemented by another transformational election in 1964. In that year and 1965, it was actually Republican legislators who got Johnson civil rights and voter rights through Congress, but people remember presidents, not Congresses, and blacks remember Johnson. As the website History Central states, quote, the election of 1964 was the first election since 1932 that was fought over real issues. This election brought ideology into American politics, 
Unquote. Lyndon Johnson's 61% popular vote tally against just 38% for opponent Barry Goldwater cemented several movements. In 2008, a historic election with the first African-American president's election, Barack Obama, at that point, Barack Obama held the House of Representatives, the Senate, and enjoyed a four versus four Supreme Court with Anthony Kennedy as the swing vote. And with all that, Barack Obama did not fundamentally transform the nation as he had wished. The Affordable Care Act has had less effect on health care than did George W. Bush's drug benefit of 2003. The Trump administration has successfully curtailed the Consumer Protection Bureau and the stimulus bill passed in 2009 was just another trillion dollars added to the ever-growing debt bomb that, again, neither party really seems interested in solving. Other than that, most Obama items, including the ban on drilling, the Iran Treaty, have been rescinded. The difference between Obama and a Harris administration, we're talking about Kamala Harris, Biden will probably not finish his term, is the appetite for institutional reform. If the next Congress adds two more blue states in the form of D.C. and Puerto Rico, if they pack the Supreme Court and create more new constitutional institutions or extra constitutional institutions, such as the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, and they rescind the Second Amendment, then this will become the most important election since 1964 and 1932. Two 20th century elections that really mattered. Think about it this way. Of the 57 presidential elections that have been held since Washington's win in 1788, about six, maybe seven, were indeed among the most important of our lives. This is Bell Avis. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and would also invite you to check out other articles and information and all of our additional podcasts at conservativehistorian.com. And even on YouTube, type in conservative historian and you will get a whole selection of 19 different videos. And uh, you get to see me, Bell Avis, actually doing the presentations on those videos. Feast for the eyes as opposed to the Feast for the Years, which you've just encountered. So check all those things out. And thank you again for listening. Really do appreciate it.